Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Um, As always, I'm Pastor Brad Myers, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor. And joining me again on the podcast is Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, Tom. Hey, thanks. It's nice to join you here on this sports-free city of Lincoln, Nebraska. (laughs) There there you go, which which may come as, I'm sure, a shock to some. Maybe maybe it's a good thing to some, but I know for many of us, we're going to be missing what that'll look like this fall, uh, which actually relates to um, (laughs) God's hand in history and where we're going to be going in this week's podcast as far as how God is sovereign over the events of history, um, both in the global events and the events of our lives. Um, But before we get into that, Tom, before we get there, um, I want to talk briefly about your Route 66 sermon series, your snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. This last week you were in Ezekiel, you focused primarily on the first three chapters and then chapter 36 of Ezekiel. Um, so start us off, what, what did we learn about God on Sunday? I think the story in Ezekiel highlights, again, the righteousness of God, His holy character, uh, His justice. Uh, over and over, Ezekiel reminded them that the circumstances they were in was because they had sinned against God, rebelled against Him, mm-hmm. and yet they were in it because He's faithful. So a lot of different pictures about the, the faithfulness of God to His own people. Yeah, good reminder to us right now. And you've already spoken a little bit to their their situation was the result of their own hearts. Um, but anything to add to that in relationship to what it showed us about ourselves or mankind? Well, I, I think it's very convicting the number of times He called them a rebellious house mm. and talks about the rebellion. And quite honestly, I think that's the house many of us live in, uh, the human heart just simply wants to defy authority, especially God's authority. And we just saw that over and over in that text. Mm, no doubt. No doubt. Finally, how did how did the, the person and the story of Ezekiel point us to the person and work of Christ? Well, there were a lot of portraits, but I think the, the clearest one was the 93 occasions where he called him the Son of Man, mm. which set the tone to go to Daniel chapter 7, the promise of the Son of Man, who, whom would be given all authority. And then Jesus picked that up 28 times in Matthew, called himself the Son of Man as the promise that not only would he suffer for them, but he would also reign over them. So it was a really clear line uh, between Ezekiel and the life of Christ. Mm. Good. Very nice. Well, I, I appreciate the message, and I'm thankful for your willingness to preach on Ezekiel. Like we said last week, hopefully people came out of Ezekiel with a greater sense for what this obscure book is all about that probably many of us avoid on on too many occasions. Um, but this week, uh, because you were in Ezekiel and you were talking about God's, God's sovereignty and God's role in human history, specifically how he orchestrated the events of Israel's history, but the world's history as well, um, I, you, you highlighted this theme again and again, of, and, and, and throughout the sermon series, over the course of your Route 66 series, you have, um, and it came up again in, in Ezekiel, obviously, on Sunday, as far as God's hand in history. So I want to explore that just a bit more on the podcast this morning. And, and we're going to start out, listeners, with a little bit of a different start, or a start than, than typical, because I think a basic theological understanding of God's sovereignty and His, his rule over all of creation is really important important. So, so Tom, before we get into kind of the Ezekiel and, and how we read the Bible, let's start with some systematic theology here. 
what would a biblical definition of God's providence or God's sovereignty be theologically that can get us off on the right start here? Well, I, I ran a number of scriptural texts uh, that reference it, but no, none that actually define it. Mm. I think the, probably the best summary definition from all of those is that uh, it is God's absolute right and power to function according to his own pleasure that God has the authority to do what God chooses to do. Hmm. Can, can you give us an idea of, of how that has played out in both biblical and secular history? How does that relate to the things we see happen in the world practically? Well, I, I, think, I think the thing of going Genesis to Revelation, the, the great reminder is that history is simply his story, that uh, in the beginning God sets the tone and then his activity guiding history, and uh, probably uh, even in the prophetic text, he, he, prophecy is only as reliable as its ability or the one that makes the promise to fulfill it. Mm. And we, we know that prophecy will come to completion because God declared it, and he will superintend it until it happens. And, and so we see it flowing all the way through the Old Testament and then the whole narrative in the New. And of course, the, the tension with the sovereignty of God is that there are moments when it looks like his promises fail. Mm. And so the, I think the prophets especially are a reminder that even though his heart is grieved and even though there are consequences to rebellion, his purposes will be fulfilled, and he always preserved the remnant. And so this, you know, mm. I'm already working on Ezra for this week, just celebrating again the fact that 100 years after the whole Ezekiel story, there is the hand of God faithfully fulfilling it again. Hmm. So history is really his story, not ours. Yeah, I love that you're highlighting that idea of some of that prophetic language foretelling the future and that being evidence of of God's hand. He, he knew it was going to happen. He caused it to happen. He brought it about exactly as he was choosing. Um, and I know this this is maybe getting getting a bit nerdy for our for our listeners, but uh, the, even the idea that the the prophet used this future perfect tense yeah, in in yeah. in scripture, this tense of speech that speaks to it's in the future, but it's certain that we yeah. know it's going to come yeah. about because God is going to bring it about. Um, I don't I don't know that we're going to hit on that at any point in our podcast, yeah. but it's a fascinating thing if you have any interest in reading on that subject. Um, but let's let's move back a little bit to our biblical study then. So so we have this understanding that God is sovereign over all of creation. He's moving through the events of history. How have we seen this theme play out so far in our Route sixty six sermon series? Well, it's interesting that God God's plan is clearly declared even in Genesis one and two, and then it's imploded in chapter three. Hmm. And then you, you begin to see God, you know, you've got the whole exile from the garden thing, which sets up an exile theme and the longing for restoration. And then you have God stepping in and intervening. So when the son of promise, that is the firstborn Cain, kills the secondborn, mm-hmm. and then he raises up a third through the line of Seth. And, and so you just, you just see this interweaving of God's intervention and his provision um, and, and then almost like a second creation, he cleanses the world, starts over with Noah's family, they crash and burn, mm, you know, mm-hmm. starts over with Abraham and his family. So all, all the way through, you, you just you see God stepping in, controlling, 
at the same time allowing man to be man. I think that's mm. the world I grew up in was a very uh, the the will and the responsibility of man to choose was a highlighted over the sovereignty of God to declare and direct. Mm. And uh, so suddenly, as you're reading the scripture, you realize God gives a lot of grace and a lot of freedom and a lot of latitude, but he never releases the controls. He is still mm. always working uh, to accomplish his purposes. So I, I, I've seen that in bold relief all the way through uh, the Old Testament so far. Mm. Well, well, that kind of not, not came to culmination, but was highlighted again then in the book of Ezekiel. Can, can you speak briefly about how that aspect of God's sovereignty was specifically highlighted in this book? Well, in, in this particular book, he, he, he actually raises up a Nebuchadnezzar to mm. whom he gives his people Judah for the purpose of correction and discipline. And then even again, he, he talks about the other nations that he had used as a disciplinary tool to call his people to repentance. And then he promises in Ezekiel that, but they don't do that with impunity. Mm. So I used mm-hmm. them and they mistreated you. And I said that those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And they cursed you and you wonder, what about them? Well, let me tell you about them. You know, yeah. They're yeah. going to pay as well. And then and then you have even this futuristic thing. So you got this whole text, two chapters on Gog and Magog, which have mm-hmm. you know, filled libraries full of <laughs> <laughs> sure. speculation yes. on who yes. they are and what they are. But, but anyway, and, and even there, he says they are the they are the final earthly powers, but I promise you this: even those will be defeated, mm. and the king of kings will reign. So again, it's just woven through every page of Ezekiel as you go through, and the fact that God uh, had they been my children, or that had been my faithless bride, I probably would have disowned the children and I would have divorced the bride. Mm. And yet he goes, no, 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 I'm going to come back. And I'm going to rebuild my dwelling place among you. So and that, that kind of blew me away, and we didn't have near enough time to unpack those last eight chapters. But the promise of the restored temple and the glory of God will come back and dwell there. And when Jesus walked there, the glory of God was there, and they didn't see it. The Shekinah was veiled, yeah. but it's still going to happen, you know. And then he closes it out. It'll be known as the city where God is there. So that that... That sovereign control of history, and all of that is not going to take place until many years ahead. But that was the encouragement Ezekiel gave to the exiles in the way. He said, God is still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still working out his purposes. And if you repent, he'll restore and bless you. Yeah, yeah. Good reminder. I know I was I was struck personally as as I was reading through Ezekiel and you were preaching through Ezekiel, just all of these images again that come back. We, we've talked about the typological yeah. or you know, the yeah. type and the anti-type fulfilled right. in Christ. And I was just struck again by how many, you know, the city of God and these, you know, th- those kind of things that culminate, you know, in, in Christ coming and then in Christ coming again with the second coming. Just well, you amazing just, if you, realities. If you take the ten uh, I call him a sidewalk prophet, you, you, you take you take the ten acted out sermons mm-hmm. of Ezekiel. Every one of those is a type or a, a picture in some kind. I mean, you, you, yeah. you could do a whole series of messages just on <laughs> those ten dramas. The only problem is some people who want Jared to actually act them out for them. Yeah, there we go. Want to visualize what it's like for a guy to lay on his side for 390 days and bound in <laughs> captives twine. You know, so, there we go. Anyway, each of those though was God declaring a message. To his people. Yeah. 
Yeah, undeniably. Really, really good. And I, I love how that pulls both God's sovereignty past and God orchestrating the nation of Israel responding to their disobedience, but still being sovereign over that. And also projects it, his sovereignty into the future of saying God yeah. will have his hand on the future as times go forward as well in this amazing prophetic book. And so many of the prophets do that. Um, but we know that not every book in the Old Testament or, or the New Testament testifies to God's sovereignty in quite the same way as the prophetic books like Ezekiel. Um, so in Ezekiel, we see the prophecy, that literary type, that, that genre of scripture. What about the other, other genres of scripture? We've talked about narrative and genealogies and law and, and these different genres of scripture in the podcast. And listeners, if you weren't tuned in when, you, when we went through some of those, if you're interested, we've done the topic of narrative, genealogies, poetry, wisdom literature, and law, some of those major categories in the Old Testament. We'd encourage you to go back and check them out if you haven't had the chance to listen yet. But these different genres of scripture, Tom, how do they uniquely speak into this idea that's played out throughout the 66 books of scripture that God is sovereign? Could you speak to that real briefly? Yeah, it, like I said again, and it, it, the whole story starts with in the beginning, God. It doesn't argue for His existence; it assumes it, mm. and then it talks about the evidences. And uh, so, I, yeah, just in a snippet, and, and again, every one of these will be a chapter in your first book. <laughs> right, it. right. There we go, Doctor Brad. Yeah, things have gone from Brad to worse here. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, We'll yeah. see. I don't know. I have the patience for that much schooling, but uh. so we have we have eight chapters in Dr. Brad's new book on. I, I think the sovereignty of God is is mostly found in the narrative through the hiddenness of God. As you're reading the narrative, you go, "Why is this working out the way it is?" And you begin to detect that the hand of God is in the background mm. doing the work, but rarely is it declared or recognized. Public. Once in a while, someone will make a statement about, ah, the hand of God, but basically you're seeing it in action without actually identifying it. Mm. Maybe the life of Joseph would be a good example of that. We don't find out to the end of the story that God's hand was on it. We just see these things happening. Yeah. 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 What what is this? My brothers have sold me out, you know, (laughs) and and doing really well. I got up every day and I was faithful in Potiphar's house. And then I get, you know, trumped up charge of sexual assault and I end up in jail and I'm rotten in here for years and nobody remembers I'm here. Mm. And when all said and done, you know, ah, you meant it for evil, but God then it becomes clear. That's a narrative. Yeah, yeah I think on genealogies, it, it's more seen in in the elective grace of God that He, in family after family, raises up someone to carry on that line mm. of the promise. So you see His His sovereign control even of conception and birth yeah. and all. And it, it's and the genealogies are not are not all uh, all inclusive, I think yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But they're selective, but he, he reveals his control over forward history. I think in, in poetry, you see the sovereignty of God more in, in, in pictorial word descriptions, like he sits enthroned in the heavens above yeah. or something, and you're going, oh, what does that word picture mean? So for those who like to think in terms of portraits and that uh, the poets tend to just declare his sovereignty, but in, in a in a more artistic manner. Mm. Um, in, in wisdom literature, I, I was rethinking the proverbs in that, and it it seems to be he more reveals himself in the form of of revealing or directing. I was in Proverbs uh, twenty one. 
uh, like the, the the waters of a stream, so the heart of the king is in the hands of God. He turns it mm-hmm. whichever way he wants. So again, he reveals that he is the source of wisdom. So even when they act in, in righteousness or rightly, he realized that man has made his plans, but the Lord has directed his steps. Yeah. Uh, in the law, it's, it's, it's the sovereignty of God is more the, the absolute standards. This is this is what His Holiness demands from us, and they're they're not ten suggestions or ten strong recommendations. <laughs> you know, they're, they're they're ten absolutes, and because He is sovereign God, He has every right to say, "You shall not," and "You shall." Yeah. And so you see it there. I think in the Gospels, it, it's it's more a sense of timing, um, how how God directed the life of Jesus and and the apostles learning and growing and uh, so you you see his his sovereignty as as demonstrated through Jesus but probably not at, almost you're back to a narrative again mm-hmm. where you go I can see that so you know the one I was thinking about yesterday was that knowing there's a storm coming on the sea he, he kicks the disciples out in their boat <laughs> right. you know, with, with a basket of bread for each to get them through the night. You they know. had a divine appointment. He ends up on the hill <laughs> and prays, watching that boat in the yeah. middle of the storm and waits until he walks out to it. So, again, he's sovereign over the storm, sovereign over the waves. Mm. Uh, sovereign, but it was a training kind of ground, so yeah. the timing thing. In, in the epistles, his sovereignty tends to be more applicational, I think. It's it's like, so what are the implications of this? Well, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the earth, that you should mm-hmm. be holy and blameless. So there's, it, it, it's more like, uh, how would I put it, on our coma, you know, context observation, meaning application. You get to mm-hmm. the epistles. What's the application of the sovereignty of God? It almost presumes God's sovereignty. If yeah. God can give you a command, it must mean that he's sovereign, and, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, this is what he wants you to do. This is how he wants you to live. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, the apocalyptic, I mean, he's, he's, as mysterious as those are, I mean, some of the, uh, my Bible study on Sunday afternoon, I've been grappling with the last chapters of Daniel. Like, mm. What are all these beasts and images and everything yeah. mean? But, but it's, it's God declaring that I am the God of history, past, present, and future, mm. and kingdoms that had not yet even existed, he declares that. So you're seeing that he was, and in all of that, all of this story from Genesis to Revelation culminates in this glorious king finally recognized, yeah. and finally worshipped and ruled. So all, every every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's sovereignty. He's, yeah. He is in charge. He is the final word. It, to him belongs all that mm. authority. So, I, yeah, each one paints a different uh, different part of this one singular portrait, that God is God from beginning to end. He's God overall. Mm. It's a good reminder. And and listeners, we would encourage you to keep your eye out. Again, this is another one of those major themes that run through Scripture, God's sovereignty and how he engages with mankind in human history. And look for how each of the different genres and the different books that you're going to be reading in your time in your personal study really highlights different aspects of that, like Tom is talking about. If you have additional questions on that subject, a specific genre, we'd love to come back to that. We know gospels and epistles and apocalyptic, those are still coming. So we've got episodes on those coming as we hit those genres in our Route 66 series. Um, but Tom, I want to I ask you a question that's maybe a little strange for this podcast, or we haven't typically gone on, because I think this subject is so relevant for us today. Um, and, and that is, 
more applicational. What, what do you view as the significance of remembering God's sovereignty in our lives today? Well, like I said, the, the journey to understanding and embracing the sovereignty of God uh, has, has, has been a long road in my own life because I, 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 like I said, the emphasis of my upbringing was, was more on the responsibility of man, hmm. and God waits for me to make a decision, and then he comes alongside <laughs> and blesses it. Um, it, but I, I think the challenges of, of these many years is that the sovereignty of God is the source of great comfort. Mm. And I, I, Linda and I default repeatedly to Job 42, that the purposes and plans of God cannot be thwarted. Mm. And you connect that with Romans 8.28, which nobody wants to hear in the midst of their trial. But he does cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. So uh, his sovereignty is comfort when we don't understand. Mm. And when what's going on in your life makes no sense, you fall back on that and say, but he has a purpose and he will work it out. I can count on that. Yeah. Um, and so that, I think that's, that's been the application yeah. in my own life. And if I can just add to that, I, I know as you know, some of the people I've listened to and talked on when they're speaking on trials and difficult times, one of the encouragements that I really find is, is that reminder of God's sovereignty, that he is sovereign over the situation, changes our whole perspective on how we view the trial, as opposed to it's, a, it's an uncomfortable situation that we want to get out of as soon as possible, and asking for God to alleviate the pain is, is not wrong at all, and that's not what I'm saying, yeah. but it changes our perspective from, God, get me out of this as quick as I can, to, God, teach me what you want to teach me through this trial, through this difficult season. Yeah, I, I, I think it also uh, diverts our argument. Because when you're in a trial, you, you, you tend to be fighting the trial, the circumstance, and yep. all that. Yep. And then you realize, because of the sovereignty of God, I, I need to take this one up with him. Mm. And, you know, you read the Psalms. I mean, yep. the Psalms usually start out with, God, where are you and what in the world are you doing? And don't yep. you even know what I'm going through? <laughs> and all but one of them resolve themselves, but God. Yeah. And, and that's what the sovereignty of God, it doesn't mean I love the trial. It means I love the God who takes me through it. Yep. And I, I quit fighting with this situation, and I take my case to the one who is ultimately in charge. Mm, very yeah. good. Uh, there's a little bit more on that subject when our, on our podcast that we talked about lamentation and, mm. and how the Scripture lays out kind of that format that Tom is talking about. So check that out again if you haven't checked out that episode in the past. Um, so, Tom, if I can attempt to, uh, attempt to summarize our discussion a little bit, uh, what we see through 66 books of Scripture is one divine author who is both writing a book that he knows where things are coming from, he knows where things are going, he's controlling the events that take place throughout that book. Um, and that's God's sovereignty, you know, his undeniable hand, both in the big picture events of life and in the minute details of our individual experience. And each book seems to play a unique note in this symphony that God is laying out called the Bible that speaks to his sovereignty and his incredible control over history. Any additional thoughts to add to this, Tom, as we wrap up this conversation and look forward to next week? I've got a got a whole list of them. <laughs> there we go. That, that will <laughs> fit within this, our this podcast is, window. Obviously, as I've been preaching, you've been hearing this yeah. theme is significant in my own mind. But I, I love R.C. Sproul's statement when he said, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. Hmm. Uh, it, I think that the instruction is read the scriptures looking 
for the hand and the thumbprint of God. Mm-hmm. And we, we tend to read them self-servingly and uh, consumeristically, and we are to read them looking for His hand Amen. in the midst of them. Amen. That's a good word. All right. Well, with that in mind, hopefully that's an encouragement to our listeners. And, and this coming Sunday, you've got another Old Testament prophet. You've got the prophet of Ezra in your sermon series. Um, what are you looking forward to preaching from the life of Ezra? Well, Ezra is so timely. So many of these studies have, have been timely. We didn't know COVID-19 and all the interruption and everything. Mm. But, but Ezra's story is the story of revitalization of worship. And as, as we're in a season of churches, you know, trying to get back up and going mm. and refocused, I mean, the, the timing of Ezra, what are, the, what are the essential foundational practices that bring about restored worship? So I'm, I'm just excited about how relevant it is and uh, uh, struggling not to just jump immediately to the application, but mm-hmm. to, first of all, interpret the text rightly. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, that's where I'm headed. Good. Very nice. Any interpretive questions you're wrestling with this week? Not in the text in particular, uh, as far as, as I don't understand what that is. Probably the, the, the most difficult is to understand why he laid it together. There's six chapters that talk about a history that precedes by six decades the seventh chapter activities of mm-hmm. Ezra. So mostly it's like reading that going, why, why has this laid the foundation for what seems to be the focal point when Ezra comes and calls to people to repentance? So mm-hmm. Yeah, that structure of the book yeah. tips the hand to the meaning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's well, a hinge there between six and seven and just trying to not overlook chapters one through six. They set the tone for, mm-hmm. but why that? why that's framed in there that way, I'm not sure yet. Absolutely. Finally, how can we prepare our hearts for this message? Well, there, there are two heroes that appear in this story. And it actually, uh, when Ezra was first released in the Old Testament canon, it was an, under Nehemiah. So it's Ezra and Nehemiah mm-hmm. were one book. And so you've got two great heroes. But I think the encouragement to prepare your heart for is the real hero, the real spotlight of those two stories is the community of faith that God used to restore honor, glory, and blessing. It wasn't these two guys. Mm-hmm. So I think for each of us, we have a role to play. It is yeah. not about the superstar heroes. It's, it's about my role in the community of faith. Mm. So much so that that Jesus in your square mile you right. know, thing that you always like to come back to. That's it. Well, we'll look forward to that encouragement in this season um, as, we, as we meet together, either in person or online, whichever option you're taking us up on in this current season. Uh, well, thanks for listening uh, to another episode on the podcast. We hope it was informative and encouraging to you, um, and we're... Uh, we're just wanting to say that uh, if, you, uh, if you're following along in our reading resources, this week as Tom preaches on Ezra, he will be covering primarily Ezra 1 and Ezra 7, that hinge chapter that he was talking about earlier. Uh, lastly, I want to mention that we got a great question uh, related to interpreting the Old Testament promises in light of the new, our New Testament context. Over the course of this last week, we already had a few weeks lined up, so we couldn't get to it in this week's episode, but it is a great question, and we will be 
addressing it in later podcasts. So for other listeners, um, keep the questions coming. Like we will try and address those either in brief in a, another podcast episode or by setting aside its own podcast to talk about your question. We want those coming. We want to address the needs you're wrestling with in your own biblical interpretation. So lastly, just know that we are praying for you, for your interpretation of the Bible, for your growth in your knowledge and love for Christ over the course of this week. And we hope you join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.